When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Like, how do you make adult friends? That would be that would be a good nonsense. You just mirror their emotions <laughs> back to them and be a different person to everybody, and then you know people like you. Oh my uh, god! I mean, but... he's he's not joking. I'm Alex Higley, and I'm Lindsay Hunter, and, and I'm, I'm a writer. writer but Welcome to I'm a Writer, but today we have Andrew Bomback. Andrew Bomback is an associate professor of medicine at Columbia University Irving Medical Center and the author of Doctor. His essays have appeared in The Atlantic, The Los Angeles Review of Books, McSweeney's, and elsewhere. His new book is Long Days, Short Years, A Cultural History of Modern Parenting. Welcome, Andrew. Welcome. Uh, thanks. Thanks a lot. Really happy to be here. I'm a huge fan of the show. And um you guys once said, "Like, can we pull a treesman?" You can call. You can call me Andy, please. Okay. Yes. <laughs> I do actually the, was thinking that. Do the, the do the treesman. treesman. Absolutely. I just also, want to point out that this is the first book that I'm a writer, but has been footnoted in. That's and, right. And and noted in. Um. And it's actually, you know what, Lindsay, I was gonna quote you in the book <gasps> another time because I swear you once had a tweet that said mm -hmm. something to this extent and if i'm quoting it wrong or if it's the wrong person let me know but you said if my hair was on fire and i was falling down the stairs <laughs> my kids would ask me can i have a snack yeah did yeah you, did you my, write that i did yeah, right, it so was i like... want i wanted to put that in the in the chapter where i'm quoting a bunch of different you know women writers who write about motherhood and i tried to, i'm not very good at like searching for old tweets so i googled Lindsay hair on fire and it's you get only Lindsay Graham being a liar and like I couldn't I well, could not find your original tweets so I was like it, I can't put this in without knowing like if it's the right tweet the I was like maybe tweet, she erased it or something no the actual tweet was my kids watching me fall down a full flight of stairs can you get me a snack oh, yeah. so I love so, that in your version my hair was also on fire because that's very accurate yeah so that's why I couldn't find it because I was searching for like hair on fire and it's all about how Lindsay Graham's pants were on fire <laughs> I've learned from Alex since then to delete tweets so I, every once in a while I delete a whole bunch of tweets I think that one no longer exists anyway so a classic, I'm, I'm honored I'm honored. All right, there you go. Please read to us. All right. So this is uh, from, the, from the end of the book. It's a section about my relationship with my middle son, Mateo. And it's uh, it gets into one of the themes of the book, which is the only advice I can give you is get to know your kids as well as you can. Mm. Play de Toto, Mateo said. I want de Toto. 
I advanced through the songs on his Spotify playlist until finding Mark Ronson's Uptown Funk. Mateo's name for the song sprang from its baseline. Most kids, if they didn't know the name for this song, would have landed on a name based on its Bruno Mars lyrics. Juno, for example, sometimes referred to it as Don't Believe Me, Just Watch. Mateo's identification with its baseline rather than its lyrics reflected, I hoped, the burgeoning musician inside him. Duh, he now sang. Da toto, da toto, da. Da toto, da toto. He reached over and grabbed Joaquin's hand to try to enlist him in this musical moment. I sang along, truly enamored by the tune after weeks of listening to it whenever we were in the car. There's an irrational love that develops for a song you associate with your children. At some point during the 50th or 100th listen, the song takes on new meaning and complexity. A background vocal, a guitar riff, a one-second pause. Some feature emerges that marks this song as genius, purely because you've listened to it so many times under so many different circumstances, amid cheers and crying and even the occasional silence. And now you feel like you know every last detail of the song, just like you know every last detail of your child. This week was Uptown Funk. The previous week, though, I'd had the same experience with Katy Perry's Roar. Proclaiming it in my own head, of course, never out loud to any other adult, the most underrated pop song of the last decade. I could have done an extended monologue on the intricacies of Katy Perry's music, the way Patrick Bateman waxed poetic about Huey Lewis in American Psycho. The staccato introduction of Roar lulls the listener into thinking this will be another sweet Katy Perry tune with a pretty vocal and saccharine message. She begins singing in a soft and non-confrontational voice about how meek she used to be, quiet, conforming, the good girl everyone expected. As we march toward the chorus, it's the music that first becomes louder and more aggressive. We hear a pounding bass drum and the introduction of an electric guitar, best described as raw and crunchy. Suddenly, we're in the chorus with Katie singing loudly and confidently about how strong she can be, followed by a series of notes from the back of her throat that evoke a yodel and show no signs of self-consciousness. She seems to be challenging Dolores. She seems to be channeling Dolores O'Rourdon, the late singer of the Cranberries, and her guttural yelps in their 1994 classic "Zombie." This is not a stretch. Later in the song, when Katie approaches the chorus with a crescendoing bridge of "Roar, roar, roar," she is a dead ringer for O'Rourdon's shouts in "Zombie." Patrick Bateman was a sociopath, though. His hyper-intellectual approach to the tepid catalog of Huey Lewis was one of the more humorous aspects of American Psycho, a way for its author to show Bateman's delusion and distance from reality while still having a bit of, of a joke at the expense of Huey Lewis and his fans. Was my infatuation with Katy Perry the previous week and now with Mark Ronson and DeToto a sign that I was losing my own grip on reality? Yes. The answer was yes. Being a totally invested parent meant being a little bit crazy. Senya and I had once, Senya had once claimed that the kids had Stockholm Syndrome with me. Well, I had Stockholm Syndrome with the songs on their playlists, but also with my captors themselves, Juno and Mateo and Joaquin. As we pulled into the daycare, I reveled in the secret language Mateo and I shared. Other than me, no one else in the world, not his mother, not his daycare teacher, not even Mark Ronson himself, would be able to hear him ask for De Toto and immediately know he wanted Uptown Funk. We shared a good kind of crazy. I love that. Thanks. And for us in my family, um, I really hated the song American Pie. I hated it. It's too long. It's, you know, 
twee. And because of that, my husband started playing it for my kids all the time. <laughs> Mom oh hates God. this song. Let's listen to this song. And it became a joke. But then they like genuinely got into it and like became obsessed with it and the story of Buddy Holly and everything. And um, now I really love that song. And every time it comes on and I watch my kids like sing along so earnestly, I... I just yeah. am overcome. It's like a you get tearful. I can hear you getting tearful. On, yes, on a, right there, yes, yeah. yes. It's like I don't know. There's those are just like the best kinds of family moments. Yeah. No. I I think um, there is something about like music that you associate. And the funny thing is that each of my kids has like their own playlist now, and they're like so distinct. Like Mateo, the one that I was just reading about, like he went through like this huge very like aggressive edm phase which I, I was, and he was like six at the time and i was like why are you listening to this and like now he's going through like hip-hop and he's just listening like he finds all these clean versions of hip-hop songs and he's just like why are they beeping out why are they bleeping out this word and i was like i i can't he's like it's the word is called weed why is that being bleeped out and I, was like, oh my God. I don't know how i'm gonna explain that but it's fun it's fun experiencing music to your kids it is it's the best although i am i'm quite sick of the imagined dragons yeah. what's funny is that that section i read like there's a there's a paragraph that i omitted because my oldest daughter, Juno, when I, I at the first reading I did, I read that first paragraph, which was about her playlist. And I listed off all these songs that were on her playlist as a first grader. And she's now a sixth grader. And afterwards, she just like grabbed me and she was like, you embarrassed me so much. And I was like, really? And she was like, everybody knows what's on my playlist. And I was like, first of all, that's your playlist from first grade. Like, no one's going to care. And she's like, I don't even like those songs. She's like, Van Halen? And I was like, you had Jump on your playlist. She's like, I was six. And I was like, all right, I promise you I'll never read that part again. But, uh, oh, man. So Yeah. So I, I was like, Juno, like, trust me, everything goes in like phases. Ten years from now, you're gonna look at that playlist and be like, "I had really cool songs on my playlist." Yes, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Oh, I want to touch on something that we were talking about uh, previously um, because I was going to ask you what the impetus for this book was, um, and but you had kind of answered that previously about it was a memoir of being a father and a memoir of being an angry father. Yeah. So. Um, so yeah, I want to hear you talk a little bit about that. Yeah. So I um, I started writing about like just being a parent and being a father and just dealing with a lot of the disappointments in myself like just how how difficult the time I was having and and really about how I kept giving into anger it was and and I I eventually like really worked on it and like did some sort of like anger management program in my life through like reading a ton of parenting books and working with counselors and and like a parenting coach and I was like, this, I think, would make for an interesting story. And I, I I, wrote it as like a memoir, but I sort of spliced in some of um, some of the elements from like my work as a doctor, because I, I felt like there was there was a bit of an intersection between how as a doctor, I deal with difficult patients and how as a parent, I was dealing with difficult moments with my kids. Mm-hmm. But it was a very sort of like straightforward as like, like my, my older brother who read it was like, it really feels like a love story. It's like how you fell in love with your kids, especially like the one who was giving you the biggest, the biggest problem. Mm. But, um, you know, one of the things I like about, I love so much about your podcast was like, I thought I was really like the only one who ever went out on submission and never, never sold the book. Mm. And so like, but wow. it seems like I hear that story a lot in your podcast. So I was like, Oh, oh I'm yeah. not the only one. So mm. that was like spring of 2019. 
my agent sent it out to like 20 really like big places. And I was like, wow, this is so exciting. Like, I can't believe it's going to be a real book. Um, and then like every place passed. And what was funny is that I had gone out with a novel when I was in med school. So this was like 20 years earlier. Mm. So I sort of knew the process of getting rejected, but mm. back then, like every rejection, this was like pre-internet almost. So like every rejection was like a real letter written on like publisher's letterhead. Oh my God. And it was like, and it would be like three or four paragraphs where they said everything they liked about the book, but just like the one thing why they didn't want to buy the book. Mm. All the rejections for this thing now in like spring of 2019 were like over email and they were like three sentences like to my agent. And it was always like, I love your taste so much. Like, please keep sending me stuff but this one didn't work. And I was like, Oh, this uh, is I was like, these are the worst kinds of rejections. Cause they don't, it's like, they're trying to like not burn bridges with my agent and they really uh, don't like the book. So now that I look back on it though, it really was, it, it, it wasn't the right book for me to write. Like I, I, I didn't feel that I like, now that I look back on it, it's like that there, there, it was, it's an important story to tell, but I probably didn't do it the right way. Mm-hmm. And so a- after a while I said to my agent, Cause I was like, do you want do like, what should we do? And he was like, I, I'm not sure you're going to be able to sell this now. Cause like he, we went through so many places. And then I said, do you, would you mind if I tried to put it out with like an academic press? Because I think there's this one series at MIT that I could, I could fit it into. And this is actually the exact strategy we did with my previous book, but it was a little bit of a different story in that the previous book that I wrote, which is about doctors, he was like, I don't think this is ready to go out to any place. Like it's too weird. And it's too, and it's just, and he's like, it's just, he's like, it's, it's not really, it doesn't fit into any category. Mm. And so I had said to him, can I submit it to the, to the objects lesson series? And he said, yes, because you have a much better chance of publishing a weird book as part of a series mm. because they, they'll, they'll be willing to take a chance on a weird book. Cause it, even if it completely misses, it's just like one book out of like 50. So, <laughs> um, so I said, let me do the same strategy with MIT. And I sent it to them hoping it would get accepted into this series that they have, which is called the essential knowledge series. And I, I had pitched it as I'm going to just write about, cause it, you like that, that, that series, the titles are really just one word. So I was like, I'm just going to write a book about the verb form of parents. So that's how I had pitched it to MIT. And then fortunately, the editor there liked it and said, we, we'd like it, but we don't want to put it as part of the series. We have a trade. We have a trade division and we'll put it out as a standalone trade paperback and we'll, we'll flesh it out a lot more as a, as a sort of like a, like a cultural history book and, and, take down some of the memoir part. So um, that, that was, that was a really great like decision on, on his part to say, tone down the memoir and work more on the cultural history part, because I feel like now those parts about my life and those parts about me being like an angry father, they, they make more sense in the context of the, of the cultural history that I'm providing. Mm-hmm. Did you consider uh, after the first round of, uh, rejections for the earlier draft, Andy, did you consider writing a novel with, you know, with the knowledge base you had with some of the searching you had done as a father and, and all the learning? Did you ever consider going back in and doing and writing this fiction? I did. I actually tried. I, I started, I started a novel and I think I got maybe like 
somewhere around like 15,000 words. And I realized I can't do this. Like, mm. so it's just like, there are people who, who are able to write fiction. And maybe at one point in the past, I was able to do it because you know, like 20, 20, 25 years ago, I used to write fiction um, and, and wrote a novel, but I was like, I can't do it now because I keep bringing in real stuff. I like, it's mm. like, it's, it's, it's too transparent, like that this is not fiction. Mm. And and then I was like, and then I feel weird about in some ways, like adding fiction elements to real. So like after, after like around like three or four chapters, I was like, I really, I don't, I don't have like, I don't have the bones for this. Mm. And, and so I, I, I stopped. I mean, I, I still like, I read fiction all the time and I'm just like always like blown away by how great a novel is and, and a great novel moves me differently than any great nonfiction that moves me. But I, I just don't think I have the chops to do it. Like, so what do I was you like, think, what do you think changed from when you wrote your novel in med school to now? Um, I, th- I think that I figured out, you know, like I, I never took real formal writing classes. So like, I, I didn't study writing as an undergraduate. I took like one or two writing classes when I was in medical school at the undergraduate campus. Um, but I really like basically like, taught myself how to write fiction by copying other fiction writers like the novel that i wrote in medical school that i had an agent for and that she sent it out but didn't get published i i literally just took the book the movie goer which was like my favorite novel and i i just plotted it out like and i and i wrote like a modern day version of the movie goer but like Mm -hmm. if anybody had read the movie goer they they knew like oh my god this is like a point by point modernization (laughs) of the movie and (laughs) And so, like, I was just doing that with everything. Like, I wrote a bunch of short stories, like, some of which got into literary journals, but they were basically, like, mimics of short stories I had read in literary journals. Like, I, I would read a story and be like, oh, that's cool. They're they're numbering their paragraphs. Oh, I'll do that now, and I'll write, I'll write a story that numbers paragraphs. And so, like, I, that's, that's sort of – so, but basically, at some point, I realized, like, I, I can't I can't do this, like, all the time. And I focused more on just like writing academically as part of my job as a doctor. And I, I, I sort of, I sort of learned how to write good prose about nonfiction material. And that was like what, so then I sort of like prided myself like, Oh, I, I can write a really good article on kidney disease that people say like, this was so readable. And so I sort of did that 10,000 hours of, of writing, but in like medical world, and then I sort of said, okay, now it's time to start writing about that in 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 real life. Mm-hmm. But it, then it was also just like, I always feel like things come at like the right time in your life. Like I, I was at a point where I was like, I want to start writing again. I hadn't written for like, I hadn't written seriously for like 10 years. And I I got exposed to like David Shields books at the right time in my life. Mm-hmm. And he is, he's all about just like writing, writing about yourself, like, you know, no holds barred, like explore your inner, your inner demons. And, and then I had some outlets that were like, actually like really supportive and let me practice writing by writing book reviews and personal essays that were sort of disguised as book reviews. So I, I wrote like 20 book reviews and, and all these things were basically ways for me to practice writing about myself. And that's sort of how I felt like, okay, now I can really try to do this, write, write a book, but do, but it, but it was obviously nonfiction. Mm. The angry dad has long existed, 
right? Like, I feel like, uh, you know, I had an angry dad. <laughs> um, but I feel like the anger that parents feel today is like born of like a stifling in some way. It, I, I, I totally agree. I think the pressure cooker for parents today is so is so different than the pressure cooker was for previous generations. Like I saw this tweet that went viral recently. Do you guys know the show, the bear? Of course. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So like someone put a tweet out that is like the bear, but it's It's Juan. Juan did that. Yeah. But it's getting your kids lunch ready. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, you know, the person. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It was like the bear, but getting your kids lunch ready in the morning. And I was like, I thought about that. And I was like, that is so accurate, but even more so is like that episode in the bear. I think it's like episode seven where they're playing the Wilco song. Like they play the whole Wilco song spiders and like all those orders are printing out. And like, finally Carmi just like gives in. He just starts cursing at everybody. And he's mm-hmm. just like, shut mm-hmm. the F up. Shut the Like he just can't stop. And that to me was like, th- that to me is sort of like the angriness of being like the anger of being a parent is like, in some ways, you spend so much time stifling your anger mm-hmm. that when it finally comes out, it's sort of like, it's a bad analogy, but it's sort of like when an alcoholic finally takes like their first drink, they're like, well, I took the drink. I might as well enjoy the night. Right? So, <laughs> and it's like, now that I've, now that it's come out, I'm just going to, I'm going to just give into it for the next like five or six, you know, outbursts and then and then I'll deal with the repercussions and I think that's sort of like what it like what it's like to be a parent now is like you're you're constantly performing you're constantly mm-hmm. like trying to show everyone that you that you've got your you've got your act together like you're at like you're at soccer and like your kid's not listening to the coach right mm-hmm. and like then you go out to the middle of the field and you have to like talk to your kid in front of the coach and you have to do so in a way that's like <laughs> totally supportive. And it's just like, yeah, like it, in the eighties and nineties, you know, like right. your, your mom would be like, get it together. You know? Ex- like, exactly. It's like, if you don't listen to your coach, you're not eating dinner. Right. Or like something tear like that. that ass up, you know, right, like- exactly. And now it's like, you have to get down on your knees and you have to like, I, I know it's really hard and like it's hot out and, and it's just like, and so I feel like as a parent, you get so few avenues to just let it out that when that anger comes out, it it feels so cathartic that you, at least for me, like I had to, like, once it came out, I had to like really keep going with it for a while. And then I would just be like, okay, now you need to stop. <laughs> and and it, it's, it's bad. It's like, it's a real problem. And so um, that's, you know, I, I I like I I finished writing this book maybe I think I actually finished like all the drafting like December of 2020 or like or very early of 2021 and but I still can't stop reading I thought I was when I handed it in I was like that's it I'll never read another parenting book again and I can't stop reading parenting books even though I handed it in because I know that like I just need these like constant it's like if you if you view bad parenting or like giving into your your anger as like as like an addiction like reading parenting books is almost like your meetings like mm-hmm. you just you have to keep reminding yourself like stay on track like these are the things you need to do and 
I don't think parents in previous generations worried about these things. Like, no. I, I, I don't think they, I don't think they talked about it. I don't think they like cared about it to the same degree. I think they were just like, they'll be fine. We'll get them through it. And parents, parents today are just so stressed. My parents' number one concern was that we'd not be spoiled brats. And like, that was, so every interaction was like, are you acting like a spoiled brat? Which I don't believe in. I don't believe in the myth of the spoiled brat. And so I handle things, you know, I handle things on like, these are real emotions and their brains are not fully formed yet. And I have to kind of like try to see things through their eyes. And you're doing that for three different people, you know, while you're also like, just trying not to like lose it, lose your own shit as your kids are losing three different kinds of shit, you know? Mm, yeah. And, um, and, and so like, I'm trying to check myself, I'm trying to communicate in the way that is right for that particular child, because they're all different. They're all so different. I'm trying to like model how one can like help another loved one through something like this. And then I'm great until it's fucking bedtime. And then I'm like, I'm so close to the finish line and inevitably my four-year-old like can't hang (laughs) at bedtime. And I find myself being like, you better get it back. And it's just not who I am until it's 745 at night. And I'm hunched over in their hallway. And my boys are like, you know, almost asleep. And I'm screaming at my four-year-old daughter, like a maniac. And it's like, and and then as soon as it's over, I'm like, God, I looked crazy. You know, like, I wonder what my boys thought as they were watching that happen. Like Judith, thankfully is like, she doesn't remember but like you know it's it's like how it's impossible is what i'm saying no i know that's why i i constantly like am looking for some answer out there like that's like i i just read this book where i was like i wish i had read this book earlier because one of the key messages was you'll be like parents are way too hard on themselves and like you you should constantly be reminding yourselves like this is really hard and you and you should counsel yourself the way you would counsel a friend so like so like Lindsay, if a friend of yours told you like oh i yelled at my kid at 7 45 when they were trying to go to bed you would have total empathy for your friend you'd be like oh that's so i like you're not a bad mom you're totally like everybody but you but you don't say that to yourself and right and that's like to me like reading that it was was really sort of like eye-opening and that the problem is then you get like a real slippery slope you're like i'm not that bad right i know i know i i one of my favorite parenting things that i've ever heard is from um my friend matt and he said good parents worry if they're bad parents bad parents say hold my cigarette infant (laughs) oh that's nice that's nice that could be that could be a t-shirt i know i know the the aspect of this that i found I had trouble relating to because I think I'm just wired differently than, than, than you, Andy, in this probably in many ways, but I can't deal with the, the constant information regarding parenting coming into my life, whether it is there's like entire, an entire industry of Instagram parent teachers parent uh god i don't even know what you would call it instructors or you know coaches coaches yeah yeah yeah. you know you know okay uh, they're specialist in infant sleep or they're a specialist in uh, you know five-year-old uh whatever tantrums it's like and even i have such an anxiety around reading parenting books in like because i feel like every time every time I encounter a new set of information, it's like, 
God, how the fuck am I going to incorporate this into what I'm already struggling to do? It's like the, like to this day, I struggle, I struggle with that where it's like, I can't accommodate new information into the routine. I'm barely holding together. And obviously I'm being dramatic about it here, but it's, it's so hard for me to just get to like a level place where it's like, okay, the house is caught up you know, we're off to school on time. TV is not on too much. Everybody's happy. You know, we have food made, who knows if it will be eaten. It's like, and then if I get, it's like, okay, now I have to remember how to phrase the way I'm going to ask my child how she wants her non-dairy milk. That is so true, Alex. I mean, like, like, it is. I remember a friend of, I, I put something like that on Instagram, like in my stories or something that was like, remember, you know, like every child has like a reason for acting the way that they're acting and blah, blah, blah. And my friend was like, I have to worry about enough in the day. <laughs> <laughs> and I have never encountered that reaction before. And I was like, oh my God, she's so right. Because it, everything you're listing, Alex, is like a quarter of what we're actually keeping track of. Sure. And then also we have to be like, okay, well, Towns likes it when I repeat myself three times and right, Parker right. likes it when I treat him like an adult and Judith, you know, is like fucked in the head, like, yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> but, and all of that to say, Andy, I was so, I guess I was just so impressed by one, the one, the recognition that you had that, okay, you know, I'm, I'm attacking my profession on a daily basis. I'm showing up for my profession on a daily basis in a way that outstrips my parenting at this point. And then to be so dogged in your pursuit of leveling those two areas in your life. I just loved that. And I had so much respect for that. Um, and yeah, that, I, yeah. I mean, I, yeah. I, I got a, I got a big nudge from my wife. Like she, she, she was like, you need to work on this. So yes. um, that, yes. that, and and I do not, I mean, I don't want to make it sound like I enjoy reading parenting books. Like, no, no, no. I, it's more like I'll read one and then I'll reward myself by saying like, no more parenting books for like 10 books. <laughs> and I, and, and she would say like, you have all this stack of parenting books on your, on your bedside table and you, they're just sitting there. Like, yeah. I, I know, like, you don't, you can't learn it by osmosis. Like you actually have right. to read it. Sure. Um, and that was part of like the reason how I started getting into this. Cause I was like, if I'm going to read this, I'm going to get something like, I'm going to get something out of it. So I'm going to write about these parenting books. So like, mm. like I, I asked like Lydia Kiesling when she was working at the millions, I was like, would you guys ever take a review of a parenting book? And I, I didn't realize at the time, like she was so into it. I, I didn't really follow her on Twitter and she's like a really good, like parent on Twitter. Yeah. But she was like, of course, like if you can like write intelligently about a parenting book, I would love to read it. Um, so I was just like, I'm just going to start writing about, the what it feels like to read a parenting book at mm-hmm. least i'll feel like i'm stimulating the some part of my brain that these books aren't appealing to because they're not fun books to read like mm-hmm. they're 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 a slog they're very repetitive um they talk to you like you're an idiot they right. they, they make it sound like your kids will be fixed in one simple stroke right. and and, the, and like they they like now that i've read enough of them i'm sort of like I feel like I have some expertise on how to read them because mm. I know like, okay, this part will not work for my family. I'm going to skip it. I'm just going to, so I may read like a 250 or 300 page parenting book and really only take 
two good ideas out of it now. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's sort of like sleeping, for example, like I read a whole like book on sleeping for my four-year-old because he was not sleeping the way his older siblings did. And I really only took two messages out of it. One was if you're going to try to fix it, like, you need to think of it as months rather than days or weeks. And I was like, all right, that's, that's, a, that's depressing, but at least it like set a reasonable expectation. And then the second thing was um, you should try to enjoy staying in the room with your kids. Like just constantly convince yourself that this is time you'll never have with them again. Mm. And I was like, I'm not sure I, I'm that good of a person, but what I did was <laughs> I was just like, I'm going to, I'm going to take a nap in the room because I'm always so tired. So I would like set a timer on my watch for 20 minutes. And I was just told my, my son, I was like, I'm going to be in the room for 20 minutes. Okay. And he's like, great. And I was like, but I don't want to hear anything out of you because I'm sleeping. And he's like, okay. And then my watch would go off at 20 minutes. And like, I would say like at least half the time he'd be asleep. The other half he'd be like, was that your watch? And I'm like, yeah. And, I was like, and then I'm like, all right, good night. I'll see you in the morning. He's like, great. And then, you know, so it's like, you just have to tailor it to your kids, but this idea of like working on my parenting, I definitely got a huge nudge from my wife because she was like, you did all this work because I was not, I, I was a, I felt like I was a good doctor. Like I was doing a lot of like scholarly work as a doctor, but I didn't feel like I was, I like understood my profession the, the same way I did after writing a book about it. And so I was like, well, if I write a book about parenting, maybe I'll be more like insightful about my own parenting. And to some degree it it has worked. Like I still make a ton of mistakes. Like I still, like even today, like I was at a park today with my three kids and I, I was wondering like what these other parents were thinking. Cause all three kids were yelling at me. And I was like, <laughs> if they only, if they only knew, I just wrote a book about parenting. They would be like, what the heck? But, 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 but even then I was just like, I'm going to, I like texted my wife. I was like, my mindful, my mindfulness practice is not coming. Like it's not bearing fruit right now. Cause that's it. <laughs> Finally, I just said to the kids, I was like, guys, I came here to read a book. I did not come here to play with you guys. You have like, you have siblings. I'm going to oh take a God. walk. Yes. I was like, I'm going to take a walk to that sunny area. And then I'm going to come back. And hopefully by the time I come back, things will be calmer in my body so that I can interact with you. Cause right now I'm really upset. I've read the same paragraph 10 times. <laughs> I was like, and I don't want to, I don't want to keep reading this paragraph. And then I started walking and I had read this book, like give yourself a mantra. And I, I somehow I messed up the mantra because the mantra was like, when they go, when they go crazy, I stay calm. And I started saying to myself, when they go calm, I stay peaceful. And I started, and I said this over and over, like, when they go calm. I, and then I, by the time I finally realized, like, that I had messed up the mantra, I was like, so I was laughing at myself so much that I was like, I, I can re, I can re-engage with them. And so I went back and like, and I was like, guys, like you guys, you, I'll play with you for one minute. And then I want to read this book and you guys can, can play. And, you know, it's a beautiful day. Just enjoy it. And then hopefully things will get better. So, but it's like, it's, you'll, you never stop. I feel like no parent ever feels really like someone told me like a really funny line, which is like the only happy families are those you don't know, like those you don't know. Mm -hmm. Like, so like no one's really, no one's really doing it without problems. Right. It was so funny. Your example from earlier about talking to your kid, you know, at midfield on a soccer field or whatever, because today Oh my God. So I'm coaching my daughter's soccer team and it's been, it's been a real learning experience for me. They're all four. They're all, they're four all four. Old. They're yeah. all four. None of them have played soccer before. None of them have played an organized sport before. And I feel like a four-year-old right now, you know, they had like, t- they had legitimately 
two years of lockdown and that just with socialization and stuff i i don't know i feel like we're dealing with a different breed of four-year-old right now and uh, <laughs> although i probably would say that regardless because the first time you encounter four-year-olds on an extended basis it's a different breed regardless it's who you the, are it's the fornado it's the fornado anyway but i i thought it was you're so funny your example Andy, because that is me with all the kids and i do i'm so aware the entire game because you know you're they're four years old you're on the field with them you're the ref you're the coach you're helping you know uh, get traffic moving the right direction and i'm just so conscious of like okay am i making sure to like all the parents can see my hands like i'm not touching any of the kids like i'm like it's like a high five like like not too aggressive because maybe this kid will like start crying again or like am i am when i'm yelling for kid x to run do i sound as insane as i think i do like <laughs> or whatever like it's just non-stop and <clears throat> it is such a performance but the successful it's like i actually get such a charge out of a successful performance and it like carries throughout the day where i'm like okay i can probably fuck up a little bit because i really killed it at soccer <laughs> like i'm gonna barely pay attention at the park so whatever <laughs> but, yeah well you know. you should you should give yourself the gift of one season not coaching because having formerly been a, a girls soccer coach for the first grade team mm. now that i'm not coaching and i can just sit in a in like a chair and watch the other coach struggle and just like read a book while it's like going from like coach to first class like it's oh, it's so amazing to like I not have wait. to be responsible and i was like i now i was like i i can't imagine i ever would go back to coaching now that i've seen what it's like not coaching <laughs> it's like you actually have like you have like an hour in the sunshine where all you have to do is like enjoy your kid and not worry about anybody else's kid, which is like a really selfish. That's, that's why, you know, people like you are better than me. Cause like, no, no, I would no, never, no. I would ne like when they were like, we desperately need coaches. Like I will do it as long as I get to coach my girls team. Like, and like, and all of her friends are on the team and I can have a co-coach so that if I, and, and even with all those stipulations, I was just like, by the midway through, I was like, I told the other coach, I was like, I will never do this again. <laughs> I am so utterly miserable. Oh, totally. I, yeah. I so admire, like, there's this woman at my kid's school who, um, like, runs one of the volunteer programs. And, like, when the kids are acting up, she's like, hey! <laughs> <laughs> and, but then, like, you know, she'll go over and sit with them and talk with them, like, you know, and, like, joke with them and they love her. But then she'll be like, I told you to get... Like, she's just, like, <laughs> she is just expressing her disappointment her anger, her annoyance, her joy, her, and I, and I look at that and I'm like, she doesn't give a shit that like the parent volunteers are here, you know, like, I mean, maybe she is tempering herself, but I just so appreciate <laughs> someone being like, now stop it. <laughs> you uh, know, because all of us are like, when you do that, how do you think it makes so-and-so feel? Oh are you tipping goodness. his bucket? <laughs> you know? know? Well, it's like, there's, it's such like, it's sort of like this very narrow window that some people are just so good at which is like they can be harsh but it's in a way that the kids don't feel like they the kids feel like they've disappointed them they've disappointed the, that person rather than like they're being scolded like it, yeah, it's like, like they're not afraid of her yeah, like they, like, but they respect her exactly like there's it's it, but it's a i feel like it's a really hard like one of the things that i've like i've done like a lot of like weird publicity for this book 
like on local like NPR radio shows. And even though like there's a bunch of press material with the book that's like, this is not an advice book. Everybody asks me, like all these interviews are like, what would you advise a parent doing this? Like, mm-hmm. man, I was always like, that's why I like, I was like, I'm really looking forward to tonight because <laughs> no one, you guys are not going to ask me like, how do I get my kid to eat vegetables? But, um, but like, but like the one thing I always like tell I'd say on these things is like there there are some people who are really instinctive who who's who I do think like are born to for this job and they don't need any help. Like and and my one piece of advice is just watch them. Yeah. And 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 actually for like just copy them. Like mm-hmm. so it's like sometimes if I'm like, what do I do? I'll just like imitate somebody that I think is a better parent than me and like yes. and, and 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 do what they would do. Like just fake it till you make it. Andy, has your dad has your dad is your dad still alive i'm sorry yeah he is yeah. okay have has he read this book he has my mom has um they um i, I think they, they i think they they overall liked it it's funny like i i probably made a mistake in not having them read an earlier version of it like they read they like i gave them it like when i got my copies um and that i probably shouldn't have done i did the same thing with my previous book my previous book was like all about my dad because it was it was about doctors and it was sort of like I used my dad's career as sort of like a through line and I was I was very like I think it's overall very like praising book of my dad but it mentioned some of his like struggles and with with a stutter which I I I learned later like he wasn't that thrilled that like it was made public in a book um and so for this one he 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 doesn't really get mentioned that much in this book neither does my mom but it was funny because my mom like found something in the book that she didn't like and it was it was such a like a small thing and it's, i i knew i knew like there would be something she wouldn't like but I, I would never have i would never have guessed like the thing that she got upset about which was this line that i have in like the one of the last chapters where i'm talking about like how we obsess over our kids' snacks and hydration. Everybody has their own water bottle. And how my mom used to tell my brothers and me, like when we were thirsty, like, oh, drink your own spit. Oh my God. And, and my it was like such it. an innocuous like comment. Like she, I even said it in the book, like she laughed when she said it and we all laughed. And she goes, she was, she sent me this text after she read the book. She's like, we need to talk about your book. And, oh uh, and I was like, I know I couldn't, I couldn't figure out like, what was the thing that bothered her so much until like, she told me and I was like that she's like, I never said that. And I was like, of course he said that. And I was like, we could call everybody up in the family. And she was like, I said, drink your own saliva, not your own spit. And it's a very big difference. She's like, spit sounds abusive. Saliva sounds. And, uh, and, it was, and, then, oh and she, and she like called all my brothers up and she even called like my, my brother's best friend because it was his mom who, who she got the line from. And like, she got everybody to corroborate that it was saliva and not spit. And I was like, I don't think anybody reads the book and is harping on that line. Like, but so that, that, That's amazing. Uh, yeah. Oh my, God. But, my mom but, would say, what do you want me to do? Spit in your mouth? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but we definitely, but I was like, mom, the bigger point was that like you gave us a lot of independence and we, and you didn't like helicopter us with, you know, all this stuff, but she, anyway, but, but my wife read the book and she did make a couple of things. She was a couple of suggestions that like, I think you want to take this out just because you don't want our kids reading this 10 years from now. And, mm-hmm. and so like, I call that like my wife's name is Senya. I call it like the Senya proofs of the pages, but <laughs> I did, but like I did give it to her. 
I said to her, I was like, here are the page proofs and they're due back in 48 hours. So oh if, there's anything you, if there's anything you need me to cut, please tell me now. And she was like, you're giving it to me now? And I was like, yeah. And she was like, oh, and she like read it. But she only, she only changed like 10 words. It was like, it was mostly like, I think you could find a softer adjective than annoying or like, <laughs> she was like, so that you don't, so that like the kids don't start reading it and saying like, oh, he called you annoying. Oh, yeah. So. <laughs> I don't know what it is, but I could read about um, baby sleep forever, even though like my kids are four, six and nine. Um, but Maybe because like, you're done with it because you don't, you don't you don't have to worry about it anymore. Wood that nothing, but like, I feel like you're kind of getting at like, um, it's hard for new parents to understand that they are allowed to have time to themselves yeah, and that it doesn't have to be completely, you know, like they don't have to sacrifice it, their personal time their personal space you know like there will be of course some of that um but i feel like there's such and i i think it's like blowing up on tiktok right now where there's like a faction of people who are like yes sleep train your baby and a faction of people who are like that's abuse um oh, man. Yeah. and i feel like it goes along with kind of how we started the conversation of like this stifling of like well i'm a parent now and it doesn't matter if i you know if this makes me want to scream or if i'm like depressed because i don't have any time to myself I know that what's best for my child is like being on me at all times, even though I am suffering. Um, and maybe, you know, of course that's an extreme example because maybe they're not suffering and maybe they're having a great time and whatever. But um, I feel like there's just this like sense of like utter self-sacrifice or you're not doing it right. Mm. Yeah. I mean, I, 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 I'm a big proponent of sleep training, but I, I definitely understand the other side. Like I think there, there is like, you have to have a little bit of, of coldness but for us it was more of like a practical thing like my wife and I were both working really bad hours and we were just like if we don't get a full night's sleep like we're 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 in trouble our patients are in trouble so we would just be like I I would my wife had a harder time than I did I would just say tell her like we have a we have like a, a raised ranch so I would just say like you go down to the basement and like watch tv and I will I will stay up here and listen to the crying and I was like this way you don't have to hear anything and she was just like, I don't trust you. Because I was like, I'll set a timer. If they, t- if they cry for more than 15 minutes, I'll go in. And she was like, I don't trust you. Like, you're going to either fall asleep or you're going to let them cry for more than that. And I was like, no, I'll be fine. But uh, you, I, so I do think you have to have like a certain degree of like, of like clinical, like remove from the situation to say like, it's fine. Like the kids will be fine. Um, but everybody's like I, I think it's like you can't force it on anyone that's the no, thing yeah. but but to your other point about like tiktok and instagram and like when we sleep trained it was sort of i, I mean it was it was the era of facebook and twitter it was around and Insta, instagram i don't think was around but i just think like it's gotten so much more public what you're doing raising your kids now than ever before yeah like when we were when we were let our baby cry it out like if, like when, if my mother-in-law was staying with us or if my parents were at our house, like they would give us like dirty eyes. Like, <laughs> like they, they would, they would be upset with what we were doing, but that was it. Like we just got parent shamed by, by them. And I, I, like, I, I sort of view like parent shaming used to just be vertical. Like you would just get it from your, from your parents or your mm-hmm. in-laws. Mm-hmm. And now like parent shaming is like heliocentric. Like you just get it from everywhere. That's right. mm-hmm. that's and, so yeah, including yourself. And that's like, a, that's a completely, you know, 21st century phenomenon that like people feel entitled to parent shame you that are not related to you. 
And it's like, and, and it's, and it can be done like really subtly. Like it doesn't have to be like, Oh, you're, you're doing this wrong. It can be more like, I'm going to brag about how good my, my version of parenting is mm. um, like, Oh, you're not, you're not sending your kid to this after school program. Like, Oh, it's so good. You know? So it's like that there's like a subtle dig. There is like, why didn't you send them to this after school program? That, mm. that exact kind of back and forth too. Like I, <laughs> I will just pretend to not speak English at parks. Like I just, <laughs> I mean, I, I can't, I can't really, pa I can't really easily pass for not speaking English in suburban Chicago. I don't know. Maybe I Polish. Can, yeah. But I mean, they're probably Polish too. So it's like, yeah. and then I, and then I'm, and I'm found out. So I don't know, but yeah, I just, I can't, you're, it's. Alex yeah. is over there going, good day, yeah. mate. I know. <laughs> Oh my god! Uh, you know I, my Polish impersonation so well. I bring I bring a book to to my to when I take a kid to a birthday party that where I can't drop them off, but I have to stay for the two hours of the birthday party. Are I you bring a book. serious? I do. It's so antisocial. It's so bad. I, I mean, I, most I parents are looking at their phones anyway. Yes, exactly. Like I, I I mentioned like I think one time like I I sent I I I, I, I like sent a tweet out about I was like I'm doing the most meta thing ever. I'm reading. I'm reading Nausgaard at a parenting at, at a kid's birthday party. Oh my God. And like, um, and then like somebody replied, it's like, you're not supposed to be reading at a kid's birthday party. You're supposed to be looking at your phone, which is like, Oh, that's a pretty, good, <laughs> that's that's pretty, a pretty good. but I was like, yeah, I, I, I can't get into those conversations. Like they're just so painful. To it's me. just so painful. Thank you for saying that. Cause I feel like beholden to like social, like, like I don't want to do it, but I feel like I have to do it. Yeah, well, I think it's much more pressure on, I mean, I'm not trying to make it all gender normative, but I think there's much more pressure on moms to socialize at these parties than on dads. Like, yeah. my Definitely. wife has always said, she's like, you're allowed to bring a book, but like, if I go there, like, I'm going to look like a bitch if I do that. And, like, yeah, you're just, yeah no. and she's like, you're just going to look like, oh, what a smart guy. He's reading a book at the party. But like, if I do it, I'm like, oh, this stuck up bitch who won't talk to the other moms. The bar then, is so low. I mean, they, they look at the dad and be like, well, at least he's not drunk. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <He's> <laughs> <exactly. just> <laughs> yeah. I know. Oh it's like, God. I, I do feel like, I didn't, I didn't get into it too much in the book because it's such, it, it, it like deserves its whole book. And there are plenty of books about it and there's plenty of books coming out about like the different expectations between moms and dads. So oh, I, I just did it in this book based on like pop culture. Cause I felt like that was a safe, that was like a safe arena to write about it. But even there, like when you write a book for an academic press, you get three anonymous peer reviewers review your book um, and give you comments before you give like your, before you do your final revisions. And I could tell, I mean, I, I, I shouldn't say this cause like I probably, I might be wrong, but I could totally tell or guess the gender of the, of the anonymous reviewers based on how they responded to that chapter. Because who I, the, the reviewer that I thought was a man who, cause like, this is so great. He's like, this guy really nails it. And then like the, the other reviewers are like, this is just scratching the surface. Like this chapter just barely touches upon how different it is from moms and dads. And like, I'm almost thinking maybe there needs to be like 10 chapters like this. And I was just like, yeah, I think there's, I think it's like, that's, that's a sign. Like, like who's, who's, who's processing this information. Cause it, it is still such a, a different phenomenon. Oh like even it's funny, like even, um, like uh, families that are that have two dads right the dads seem to do are are still given different expectations 
in that kind of dynamic. Wow. Um, like they still <laughs> like, right. Like they still are given like extra help or given like extra, they feel like people give them like so much credit for doing stuff, even when there's not even a woman in the equation, oh but God. like, like when, like my wife went away for a week when I, when my kids were, I think they were like one, four and seven and all these moms were like, what can we do to help you? <laughs> like, I can't believe she went away for a week. Like, do you need dinner this night? Do you need dinner? And I was just like, I, I go away. Like I used, this is pre COVID. I used to go away like two or three times a month and oh nobody God. ever helped my wife. out. it's like, as soon as my wife goes away for one week, like everybody's rushing to help me. Wow. It's like, such a, such a difference. So crazy. There is a concept that I had not heard of until relatively recently the default parent just the kind of the person in the in in you know the parent who is uh you know communicating with the school about things making sure you don't run out of milk you don't run out of the snacks yeah. the kids want, all that stuff just the kind of stuff that you know goes go that is absolutely necessary for the household to run for the kids to be happy but is like not even verbalized a lot of times and so much of that I feel like just falls on the mom or the mom feels like that they have to take it on because because whatever because of, because of gender norms or however it may be and I think a lot of that you know obviously every every family is different and some of that stuff is split up well but yeah there's so many things like you could it really would be interesting I would love to read even just like I would read lists from parents of what each parent does <laughs> in book form. I've like, thought about I, making that list before. I really have. have. You really? Yes. When I left this job, like, like, I don't know, 17 years ago now, they had me list all my duties so that the next person like would have a seamless, you know, like a manual basically. And it was pages and pages and pages long. And they could not believe they were like, they just thought like I answered the phones and I think about that and I'm like, I, I want to write down like, and not even that, but like the anticip the anticipating that I feel mm -hmm. like I do constantly. I like want to write all of that down too, because it's crazy. Right. And yeah. like Ben is a very involved parent. Like, right. you know, like he's puts the kids to bed by himself all the time. And you know, like, oh my God, what a sad example. Um <laughs> <laughs> no, you know, I feel like I, I feel like name. I do a lot, but I know that like what Alex was referring to, like that default parenting, that that it's just it's that it's that expectation that like if someone's going to get blamed, it's always going to be at least in, at least in 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 our family, like it's always going to fall on on my wife. Like like I said, I was late to pick up yesterday, and I'm sure they were like, "Well, why is the why is he picking up at all? Like, why, why, yeah. why is it the yeah. mom picking up? Right? No, and anytime was, we're like out of their favorite snacks, they come to me. Yeah. Yeah. Mom, we have nothing to eat, and I'm like, go tell dad about it. <laughs> um, leave me alone. <laughs> like I would describe my like I would still say Brit is the default parent, even though I do the majority of like I'm with the kids during the day. I'm, you know, I, I'm, the, I'm doing most of the caretaking during the week, but still like, there's a ton of things she does that I do not do not do. And I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. It's, it's, Sorry, we're just talking, like, we're not even talking about this book. We're all over the place here, Andy. <laughs> no, I know. There's no, no easy I, answer. There's no, I, like, I was talking about how, uh, like, recently there was, like, a room full of volunteers, parent volunteers at my kid's school, and they were all women. 
there was not a single man and um all the room parents are women and right. you know and like there's a lot of great dads there like really great dads that are my friends and um but it's just because like I don't know is it because the women have the more flexible schedule you know like or I'm um, like many of them have jobs um right and and what is it you know like what yeah. is it <clears throat> yeah no I think it I think it's like like dads are allowed to preserve their pre-parenthood selves in a way that moms are not allowed to preserve it it's like once you become a mom it's like all right like you've you you seem to have defaulted on or or given up the the chance to do like what your life was beforehand whereas dads are not asked to do the same to, to, to the same degree, which it's is, and it's definitely, I mean, I think it's improving, like, you know, like, again, like we're, we're making progress, but it's not, it's not even, it's not even close. Like, I mean, I, I definitely feel like I do a lot more for, for my kids than my, my dad did for us. And my, and my dad probably felt the exact same way about his dad. And I think every generation dads are saying like, Oh, I do a lot more, but it like, the problem is moms are, are, are following that same trajectory. <laughs> so it's like we're in parallel, the workload is increasing. So there's mm-hmm. still this huge distance between what, what, what dads are doing and what moms are doing and, and, you know, traditional mom, dad, family structure. Mm-hmm. And as you say in the book, the, the first generation of parents now uh, that is going to make less than their parents made, yeah. you know, is parenting currently. And it looks like it's a shrink. Yeah. yeah, exactly. It's just going to continue on down that path. Unfortunately, it's like I know. you combine, you combine those two things, increased workload or increased set of responsibilities, more engagement with your, with your kids and, and less money coming into the home. It's like, Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. And now I, now I just scare my kids by just saying like, I'm not even sure there's going to be an earth when you guys are adults. Oh my God. And, then my, and then my wife was like, why are you saying that? To like, you really freaked them out. I'm like, because I want them to stop complaining about walking to school. rather than driving to school. <laughs> I was like, I want them to realize like we're do- we should be making efforts. And she's like, but telling them that the earth's going to blow up is like not the way to do that. <laughs> and I just like, I don't know. Like, I feel like, you know, that I was like, there is a decent chance that there may not be an earth. 20 or 30 years from now like they should be aware of that they shouldn't be complaining about that we have to walk to the library rather than drive to the library so it's like it's but yeah there's this pressure that parents feel about like preparing their kids for what looks like a less and less certain future it's 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 daunting i mean so it's like i I feel like the antidote to that is just to say like go back to like the basics like what what are we doing like why are we why like what what is the job of a parent like what like are we real? Is the job of a parent to get your kid into a top college? No. The job of a parent is to get your kids to be good adults. And mm-hmm. like, no matter what form that takes, if they're, if they're good people, you you should be like really happy about what you did as a parent. So um, maybe that sort of perspective is probably the, the, the antidote to that craziness, mm-hmm. but that, you know, this is, this is coming from someone who took his daughter to, rock climbing at 9 30 took his four-year-old to soccer at 10 like practice oh practice shooting a goal with the eight-year-old so that he could try to score a goal in his game later on in the day and it's like and then like, so it's like yeah, i'm still doing all that cultivation and then <laughs> oh yeah no it's like tomorrow's like the swim lessons on sunday so it's like it, it's 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 easier to preach than to practice so it's like i still that stuff makes 
the daily stuff easier because like these kids, if you're not stimulating them and you're not giving them those kinds of things, it gets harder. (laughs) Yeah. Way harder. I think that's, I think that's true, but I, I, I also feel like there's, there's some benefit to just downtime. The problem is like, I love my kids to have downtime when I'm not around. So I'm like, if they can have downtime (laughs) with somebody else watching them, that would be great. Like, but having downtime, downtime with me being part of like their entertainment is, is, it's when it's like a huge, a huge challenge. Yeah. I'm like, I'm, you know, in the morning when I, when they wake me up at six, I go downstairs and I make them breakfast and then I read, I just sit there and read. And it's like very clear, like I'm going to read because we are not supposed to be awake right now. Yeah. <laughs> so this is my protest. <laughs> yeah, and also it's good. They're seeing me read so they can read, you know? That's well, that's, that's see that that's the thing is like, if you can set up those sort of expectations and like, so like what you're showing them is a reading's important. B we respect people's privacy and like, and quiet time. And like, those, those are the, those are like, again, these are like the basic ways to like raise kids to have healthy relationships. Mm-hmm. Boundaries, but, boundaries, <laughs> boundaries and reading. Those, are, those, Love are, boundaries. The, those yes. are the, those are the two, those are the two big things, boundaries and, and, and make sure you're always have a book in, in your hand and then they'll, they'll well, like one of the biggest things I've learned is that they watch what I do more than they listen to what I say. Oh yeah, and, absolutely. And so like I, um, like uh, years ago decided like, I'm not going to be that per- the mom who's like constantly looking at her phone because I don't want them to be someone who's like, I need to be looking at a phone or a device or something. And so like, I really try to curb that. And like, I try to model like, like, you know, kindness and, and curiosity and happiness and like, uh, asking forgiveness, you know, like stuff like that. Cause they, if they see me do it, it's more meaningful than if I'm like, you need to be nice. <laughs> You know, no, I think that's, that's exactly what this, you know, what everybody says is they, the the best version of parenting is just modeling, you know, like there, there's this quote from Brene Brown, which is like, dare to be the adult you want your kids to, to be right. Mm -hmm. So it's like, if you can do that, then, um, you know, you can, you can be successful. Like that's sort of what I'm, I'm the thing that I'm working on now, because I, I was, I didn't, I I didn't write anything for like about like 12 months. And then I was like, I got to start writing something because if I do an interview and someone says, what are you working on? I can't say I'm working on nothing. (laughs) So I was, I, and I, and I, I was, I had still been reading so many of these parenting books and I was still, and I was also like processing a lot of my anger about um, like vaccine resistance. Mm. So I was like, I'm going to, and I realized that some of the anger I had about like patients refusing to take their vaccine was like very, it was a very similar anger that I got when my kids refused to do things that just seemed so rationally like correct mm-hmm. and be like, I can't believe you're not sharing that with your sister. Or I can't believe like you're complaining about the flavor of donut I gave you, you know? So it's like, <laughs> so I was like, well, like what, what is the common thread here of like why I'm getting frustrated by people refusing to do what seems to be so obviously the right thing to do. And I realized that like, it comes down to like how I, I can get them to, I have a better chance of getting them to, to do it uh, at, like cooperatively, not, not just obediently, but like to really do it and, and like, like buy into it. If I approach the subject matter, like 
out of like a curious, respectful, like genuinely like honest conversation. So mm-hmm. I'm like, I'm working on this, like, it's, it's, it's like, I, should, I just started out as like, it's something that I'll have to show my parents because they'll get upset. But it started out as this like this story where my, my where like my my friend's sister died in a car accident when we were young, and I I started processing this story and like started questioning whether or not my parents changed some of the facts of the story to like scare my brothers and me into wearing seatbelts. Whoa! <laughs> so I, and I I think that I think they got most of the facts right, but there's some parts of the story that are a little bit like too convenient. They, it like almost feels like an after school special where like one child wore the seatbelt, the other one didn't. Oh my God. But um, so I was like, did they, did they basically like, you, like warp this story into like a way to like frighten us to never not wear a seatbelt. And mm-hmm. then I, and so I was like, that's, that's not the, that's not the way you want to really get people to do things. Even though my wife and I like always say like, we should have brought cameras into the ICUs during like peak COVID and just, shown everybody like just how bad it looked and then like people would know like you need to get vaccinated but it's so I was just like I was writing about that and then I was like this is this is like this is a point of like you're you're writing about this from anger and I was like you have to move on beyond that so now I'm just like exploring all this like literature on like how you discipline kids in a Mm -hmm. way that's like respectful it's like this model called inductive discipline where you just basically are constantly trying to like it's like almost like a Socratic method where you're trying to like talk them into like figuring out what they did wrong and how their actions affected others. So, um, and it's sort of what you do with patients when you're trying to explain to them, like, why you need to take a medicine, right? It's like, well, what would happen if you didn't take the medicine? Like, what do you think would, like, what do you think would happen to your kidney like a year from now or two years from now? So it's sort of like um, this inter, like interesting, like intersection between parenting and medicine, which I think is sort of what I'm, what I'm always trying to get at when I, when I try to write about parenting, because I'm not a parenting expert, but I, I have like enough practice talking to people who sort of look up to me. So (laughs) I feel like that, that, that sort of gives you some training ground. Mm. Well, I can't wait to read that when it's done. And I'm going to go back and read doctor. I, I want to read more about your dad. I was, Mm -hmm. I was immediately interested in your dad from when he appeared early in the book. Um, Well, the good thing is like this book, it's also short. Like I, that's, my wife, that's my wife said you write really short books that nobody wants to buy <laughs> she, i really like i like everything i've heard about your wife oh, it's like so funny because like you wrote a doctor book that basically trashes that trashes on doctors and, and basically says all the all the things about doctors that patients don't want to know she's like so who would really want to read that like patients don't want to know that about their doctors and doctors don't want anybody else to know about this so like why would you spill all these secrets and i was like oh, that makes sense and then she's like and then you wrote a parenting book where i'm like on page one you're like you will get no advice here <laughs> so it's like who do you think is like running out to a bookstore to be like i need a parenting book but please don't give me something that helps like please, please. Well, i mean i really think that's true because it's like alex is saying there's too much information but if i can read something that i'm like walking alongside you yes, you know clear thought yes. yeah it, that's what i really say helps. i was like you know it's more just like like you said something and like you when you send me the zoom you're like when i read this i felt seen i was like that's really all i'm trying to do it's just yes. like let people know like i see you like and by mm-hmm. the way like it's not just you it's the whole generation of parents like we're all dealing with these crazy changes in what is expected of us but i can understand why like if you went to if you were only going to read one parenting book and one basically says right off the bat like i'm not going to give you any advice i'm just going to describe the problem in depth and another <laughs> one is like 
here's 20 tips how to get your kids to stop bothering you. Like you'll probably take the stop second. Stop bothering break. you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. So oh. it's, uh, it's yeah. So, but, but, you know, to be honest, like I, I'm not, I'm not writing, I'm writing these books. Like I have, I'm, I'm fortunate enough that I have another, I have another life and I have another career. And like, I, so I, these books really are like, to some degree, like the first drafts are really sort of like, therapy for me like i'm just getting ideas out and then eventually i try to like you know polish them into something that other people would read but i, I know i'm never going to write like a bestseller or, or anything that like people like a lot of like I, I feel like probably like half the people who read my book are people that know me so that's that's same. and that's yeah, fine. same yeah <laughs> but you guys have so many friends like you guys did this thing where you were like ask me anything and i was almost going to ask you like how do you guys have so many friends? Because it seems like every everybody on your show, you're like, oh, this is a buddy of mine. Like, you guys have That's so Alex. Many friends. Alex no, no. knows everybody. Like, how do you no, make no. like how do you make adult friends? That would be that would be a good non. They're online friends. You just mirror their emotions <laughs> back to them and be a different person to everybody, and then you know people like you. Oh my yeah, god! I mean, but... he's he's not joking. <laughs> no, but I met I met Alex's agent like a week or two ago, and and I was like. I was like, he talks about you on the episode sometime. And it's like, it seems like you guys are friends. And she's like, we are friends. And I was like, she's like, we text each other all the time. And I was like, I don't think I have my agent's cell phone number. I don't either. <laughs> I, was like, I, I, think don't either. I was like, I just have his office number and his email. And she was like, yeah, she's like, Alex is very different. Like we're, we're, we're really good friends. And I was like, yeah, I was like, that's that's very unusual. I guess I was like, I was like, it was almost like that moment in Jerry Maguire where the guy's like, why aren't we like that? <laughs> it's, I mean, okay, but like, if I go to my text with Monica, it's like we're talking about Buffalo Bills football. We're not talking about like anything, you know. These aren't literary conversations. So, so that that's why, you know. It's, yeah, it's but that's great. Like you, you, yeah. Oh no, 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 for sure. Friends. I know more much about. I know much more about. You know terrible sport of nfl football than any any book so yeah all right well well on that note <laughs> excellent thank you Thanks. andy oh my andy, this was great we love the book i was saying to Lindsay before it's just it's so fun to read clear prose i don't care what it's about i don't care fiction nonfiction. clear prose clear thinking is such a joy and uh we both love this book i, I so much i appreciate it so much it's uh it's it's such such high praise to from you guys to hear that because I loved your books and I love hearing you guys talk about writing every week. Um, it's like I look forward to your episodes every week. So it's such a oh, such you. an honor to be on the show. Oh man, no, thank you. That's amazing. Thank you so much, Andy. And uh, the book is Long Days, Short Years: A Cultural History of Modern Parenting. Andrew Bomback. Thank you again. Oh, thanks so much. That was fun. He's great. He's so great. This book is, um, it fed me, if you know what I'm saying. Yeah. I mean, this is a really, it's a really unique book. And I just, I would recommend this to basically anybody. I mean, anyone who has kids. Yeah. I mean, just because it's like, it, like, you know, like we've said many times now, it's just like clear thinking on, on parenting is valuable. And that is certainly what this is. I feel like we have to read the quote that he uses from um, our episode with Julia Fine. 
Oh yeah. Um, Cause it's so good. And it is, I get that people don't want to read about the adult diapers you wear after you have a baby, but let's not pretend that those can't be just as literary as, you know, Philip Roth's erection. Oh, <laughs> such a good quote. <laughs> Uh, thank you, Julia. Yes. <laughs> um, I'm reading Steve Allman's book now because we're going to talk to him. Cool. So I'm reading that and uh, watched Black Phone last night. I think this episode is going to come out right before Halloween or close Ooh. to Halloween. It's a scary movie. Ethan Hawke is in it. Cool. And I loved it. And it, I feel like the way it was marketed was all wrong because it looks like Saw. It looks like oh, like God. a guy in a mask. And so you're like, uh, it's going to be yeah. like a torture movie or something. But it's not. It's like it's like Stranger Things meets. Um, God, that mask is scary as hell. Yeah. But it's not like that. It's It's about like a teenage boy. The premise is that there's a phone where he can hear this guy's past victims. Jesus Christ. Yeah. But it's like. Scrappy. Ratings. It's a it's based on a short story by Joe Hill. Oh. The yeah. Stephen King kid? Yeah, the Stephen King kid. And it kind yeah. of has some some similar like, you know, like uh adolescence feel okay. and it's set in the 70s. It looks scary. The screenshots I It is scary. I probably can't handle this. I love scary movies. But I, I don't can't... like torture movies. Yeah, like I've never watched the Saw movies. No, me neither. I, I 100% would not be able to handle them. Yeah. I can't do that shit. Uh, ben and I know that if there's a kid in a movie and yeah, the Rotten Tomatoes, it. if the Rotten Tomatoes score has a good critics, but a low audience, then we know, mm. okay, something horrifying happens to the child. But yeah. this doesn't have that, just so you know. God, the trailer is fuck. Yeah, this, I, I would cry. <laughs> it's like, there's some funny parts. I don't know. I really enjoyed it. It, okay. and it, it wasn't it. like when I first saw like the ads for it, I was like, no, thanks. Mm-hmm. Like what's Ethan Hawke doing? But it's great. No, I mean, if you can't, I wouldn't. I didn't know you don't like scary stuff. It's not I for mean, you. I'm just weak. I'm just weak. <laughs> Brittany does though. So I'll watch it with her. I mean, and I'll yeah, just cry or whatever. Who cares? Yeah. Um, I, what have I been doing? I've been running more and I've been feeling better as a result. That's great. Not not much further. I'm running like two miles three to four times a week. That's amazing. And it's helping me. It's helping my brain. <laughs> I know. I'm telling you, I couldn't. I only got in two workouts this week because of illness. That's and, nothing uh, for you. I mean, usually you're like all the time. Yeah, I usually work out five times a week. And right. I haven't been able to and i it really does affect my outlook on life god yeah it's it's rough definitely so that's been that's been good i can't think of really what the the sicknesses that are rolling through our house both our households Mm -hmm. it's like last year my older daughter we we didn't have we did have her wear a mask and like the whole class was masked and then this year we're not um Mm -hmm. because literally no one else in the classes Mm -hmm. which i'm kind of ambivalent about to be honest i i don't know i go back and forth um but i think as a result we're just getting like normal colds a lot more often yep um yeah so i mean and not that i mean who knows it's that's normal preschool stuff so whatever but it is it is but it sucks it's yeah. and and you never know if like 
is this ending or is another one beginning? You know, I like know. <clears throat> all of a sudden my daughter had a runny nose and like, she hadn't had like, like a runny nose, you know, she'd had like a cough mm-hmm. and like irritability and tiredness. And then all of a sudden I was like, what the hell is this? Is this a new thing that we're all going to get? Like, yeah. And we're all as vaccinated as we possibly can be. Like I've been double boosted. So it's yeah. been like all the kids have as many shots as they can get at this point. Yeah. Um, same. But it is, it's just like normal. It's normal. Sickness is rolling through now because there's no masks. And I personally like the mask wearing while it was good and important for COVID reasons, it was bad for my middle child because mm. it was his kindergarten year. And in like his, um, he couldn't understand what his teacher was saying. Yep. And like, that's the year you're supposed to be learning, like, le- you know, reading. And, yeah. and I feel like it was just a lot of, a lot of the class just spent the time just being like, what, <laughs> you know? Right. Um, And I think that's, you know, I've read that that's a thing. Like they need to be able oh, to see their def- teacher's mouths, you know? Definitely a thing. And we, we had a similar thing with my older daughter. I think just, she's very outgoing and sociable, but I think confidence in within conversations, like just, you know, as you're, in, you know, attaining new language and, and using it in conversation, I think it's a lot easier for her without a mask. Yes, absolutely. And Plus you can see when someone's smiling or like you can right. see what they're trying to. Absolutely. There's convey. ways to disarm people. If you yeah. make a mistake, you can kind of laugh about it. Oh, that's silly. I'm sorry. I meant to actually say this or whatever. And yeah, it's just like, it's so much more, uh, well, everybody knows it's a nuanced issue and it's, it's difficult for everybody, whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it's, oh God. Yeah, exactly. But right. yeah, it's just, I, some, one of my friends tweeted something like, okay, today's the first day of school. And then next week will be the first day that all my kids are home. Cause they're sick. <laughs> and it's exactly how it goes. Yeah. God. So anyway, so, that's it. Anyway, That's it. We did it. I'm glad we got to talk to Andy. That was great. Yes. Have a great night. You too. Bye. Bye, bud. I'm a Writer Butt is recorded by Alex Hickley and me, Lindsay Hunter, in our respective basements. Editing by Lindsay Hunter. Music by Max Loop. Yeah!